Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. John Dummersey's appointment as CEO of Harness Racing New South Wales in 2014 was a fitting end to a journey which began when he was a toddler struggling to pick up a water bucket at the Ruby Vale Trotting Stud Alectown, 23 kilometres from Parks. The Dummersey family played a major role in getting trotting started in Parks in 1912. In 1943, John's grandfather, William, established Ruby Vale Stud at Alectown, destined to become one of the state's busiest breeding farms. His parents, Stan and Nancy, took over the operation in 1956, standing a succession of successful stallions and hosting a huge broodmare herd. John, sister Janine and brothers Bruce, Tony and Craig grew up in a world dominated by harness horses. Young John was driving fast work at age seven or eight. In late teens, he was driving in races. In his early twenties, he got his first taste of trotting administration as a committee member of the Parks Harness Racing Club. That led to his appointment in 1988 as administrator and racing manager for the New South Wales Harness Racing Club, then based at Harold Park. Sixteen years later, he became CEO when Peter Volandes made the move to racing New South Wales. When Sam Natai resigned his post with Harness Racing New South Wales in 2014, John Dummersey was appointed by the board to take his place. And seven years on, he's gearing up for Sydney's first inter-dominion since 2015. Nice to have you on the podcast, John. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Tappy. And by golly, all those years, um, you've put them together rather rapidly. It's probably time that um, I thought about my next step. I hope I've put them together accurately. You certainly have. And, and the next step is exactly how you say it. Uh, the Intermin ID21, sponsored by Tab, of course, it is going to be one real crack of an event. We're taking this carnival around New South Wales. We're delivering to our 
vast number of uh, fans out in, out in the Western Districts. We've been to the Hunter before, but the Western Districts this year uh, will be something special. And I know the fans out in the country are well and truly looking forward to it. Mm. Before we talk into Dominion, let's clarify any confusion that may exist about the correct pronunciation of your surname. Now, the N is silent, isn't it? The pronunciation is Dumasy. That, that's it, Tappy. I'm completely silent, but I, I can tell you um, through <laughs> quite a bit of schooling, although I, I, was, I did leave early, uh, the school teachers always had a bit of a problem with that. Um, it, it's not offensive to um, get, get your name um, pronunciation incorrect mm. as long as you're talking eye to eye and on good terms with anybody you're dealing with. Exactly. Well, the ID starts at Menangle, November the 27th, second night at Bathurst, third night Newcastle, and then back to Menangle for the final on the 11th of December. Now, John, there were a few murmurings of discontent early on among trainers about having to give horses the added burden of long trips in the first week. Did you see their point? Of course you could see their point, but uh, we're talking about uh, an event, an iconic event, that was based purely on the toughness of the trotter or the, or the pacer. Mm. Uh, yes, this is a little bit more tougher, but as we go forward, uh, the roadworks have become uh, a lot better. The tracks are a lot better. So the, the arduous um, uh, toil that they're putting on these horses – does come uh, a little bit easier. However, it's a, a horseman's um, ability to get a, get these um, champions through those three uh, gruelling rounds of heats. They will be gruelling and mm. get to the grand final where um, all the greatest track, I believe the best track in the world for harness racing is at Menangle and um, it'll be a cracker night. Mm. Now, John, the third night at Newcastle will be on the Sunday and uh, you've done that on purpose, haven't you, to to give them that four-day break between the second and third rounds. I certainly did, Tappy. It used to be um, in the old days, Friday, Tuesday, Friday. So that was a real impost um, over the three, the the opening heats of the carnival. Now with that, with an extra day, it should help. We've also got other things in in play where um, the the horses can actually arrive early in Bathurst stay longer in Bathurst before they're moved on after that uh, round of heats. So uh, it'll be the choice of the trainers, what they wish to do, but whatever we can do to help them with the um, on the trail to the Inter-Dominion Grand Final, we will do. The Inter-Dominion format was modified a few years ago, even to the extent of deleting the trotters section. This year, the trotters are back in force and the pacing category will be staged under the old system of three heats and then seven days to the grand final. It's a tough assignment, John, but as you said earlier, barring bad luck, the best horse wins. Yes, but the removal of the trotters was was a, a, certainly a mistake. Should have never occurred. The trotter is part of... Uh, harness racing um we've got you know they're beautiful the trotters and and mm. we see them uh, in menangle predominantly in victoria but definitely in menangle and and they, they they are something that we need to take and and this year um unlike other years also they have to contest the three rounds of heats too so they'll be at bathurst they'll be at newcastle and yeah. they will be on display to, for people to see what graceful beauty these horses can portray when they're out there on the track New Zealand horses 
haven't exactly inundated, have they, uh, the Inter-Dominions in Australia over the years because it's such an expensive exercise to get them here. In fact, a few years ago, when qualifying divisions were run all over Australasia, not one horse from the New Zealand heat turned up in Australia. No, that's correct. And and that uh, that system was was introduced. Uh, was introduced. We did three years a, 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 in a row where we had successive years of the Inter Dominion, where we ran the heats in the major major tracks in all all these states. And the winners got to come to Menangle um, for the grand final. We we ran a rapid charge set of heats um, at Menangle the week before. Uh, but uh, the cost of travel. Uh, the daunting task when when uh, you've got a superstar, and in those days it was I'm the mighty Quinn, it mm. was bow tied. Um, owners and trainers saw the great cost in yeah. taking horses from New Zealand or Western Australia, and um, preferred not to. And that that you know that was disappointing, but still we had a great series. Mm. John, has there been any feedback from trainers on the distance of the grand final, three thousand and nine meters? After three heats and two long road trips, no, no, no um, feedback at all. Um, that it's it's not the right distance. I think the trainers they reflect back and know that this is a test of endurance. Uh, Miracle Mile, for example, is the speed test for uh, Australasia. You've got the New Zealand Cup, it's a staying test. The Hunter Cup, it's a middle distance test now, but the Inter Dominion, it must hold that. That um, that long distance race to prove who is the toughest over that fortnight. You were born into the Dumasy family in 1956. Coincidentally, the year Gentleman John won the Inter Dominion at Harold Park, and that was the second time it was ever conducted in Sydney. John, what's your earliest memory of life at Ruby Vale Stud? Uh, it was a great place to be. Uh, the earliest memory was um, the horses. Of course, it was the horses. It, every child is, in, you know, enchanted by horses. They're infatuated by horses. Mm. But we 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 were so lucky that we were able to be with the horses all the time. And it's interesting, Tappy, as as the generations have followed me. Um, they're enchanted by them as well. Um, I've got some fantastic photos of. Um, my daughter Kate mm. on the back of um, a Westburn Grant when, yeah. when she was mm. under four years of age, um, riding him. He was a beautiful horse. He's an Interdominion champion, of course, as we know. Mm. But uh, you know, it's that that affinity with horses that makes uh, makes life so um, pleasant to re- re- reflect and recall. Mm. Your dad had a one thousand meter training track on the property at Alec Town, and you and your siblings were all in the sulky at a ridiculously early age. Did Janine and your brothers all drive the horses? Uh, yes, certainly in, in, in track work. We had a horse each mm-hmm. at some stage. Um, uh, they had their own special names. They were named after us, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we, we did everything with them. We fed them. We groomed them. We trained them. Uh, of course, we were too young to have licences and probably we'd 
terribly frowned upon in this day and age. But uh, yes, it was an education in in looking after the animals first, more than um, I'd say training them. But we were very competitive. We used to run our own races on that on that big track. It was up and downhill. It was carved mm. out of the middle of a, a, a wheat paddock. So, um, it, it, but it was a great great times. Uh, we had our spills too, and I can probably feel some lumps on my body still from those. But um, it mm. was an it was a learning a learning phase in our lives. Your dad's principal aim was to get horses by Ruby Vale stallions up and going and then sell them off the property, which was a pretty common thing in that era. Certainly were, and, and Dad was in partnership with um, uh, my Uncle Joe, uh, he he was um, he was a master horseman. He was a farrier. He he was it was everything that everything and anything with the horses, and uh, they were renowned. They were renowned for get, breeding those horses, as you said, breaking them in, getting them going to a point, and then selling them on. They did keep um, many horses. Um, Joe, you know, Joe was what, the first person I think in the Western Districts to be the leading owner, trainer, and driver. Mm out of a small group of horses which they bred themselves. So mm. they they had everything, but they would sell them on and uh, generally for fairly good money. And um, his secret was always when you sell one on, make sure you've left two wins in the horse because that will get the uh, person possibly coming back to buy another. Mm, don't sell them on too tight a mark. Yes. I'm sure you have vivid recollections of a race fall your dear old dad was involved in years ago, and I think he carried the legacy of the injuries for the rest of his life. He certainly did. It was um, it was a simple fall at, at at Forbes. It was at the start, tipped out. Nothing unusual with standing starts. However, he was uh, trampled by a horse coming from behind. At um, basically, the horse trot fairly and squarely right on his ankle and, and crushed it, crushed the bones in it, and uh, I. Rec- we can recall it was was weeks and months and and years really. He never recovered from that fall from the injuries. But what it did lead to, um, it and other falls was that legislation was introduced where race drivers and jockeys would be covered by workers' compensation. Um, such was the poor uh, standard of insurance that they had in those days. So if, 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 if out of a bad thing comes a good thing, and the good thing is that um, in New South Wales, and New South Wales is the only place that has that for harness racing drivers, is, is workers' compensation in a race fall. Sadly, your dad, Stan, passed away recently after a one-year confinement in a nursing home and he was farewelled by family and 300 mourners as recently as Thursday the 19th of November. He was widely respected. Yes, he was, Tappy, and in in times when he was, was 87, um, most people outlive their contemporaries, um, and to have such a big funeral was, a, uh, a, you know, a fitting tribute to them, to a man that um, was very humble. He... Um, he didn't ever seek recognition. He he just got on with the job. One of his uh, greatest traits, though, was all the stallions that they stood at Rubyville. He and my brother Tony. My brother Tony came along after he'd had that accident. Mm. Um, he was dragged out of school and and basically forced to, into working the farms. Um, what what came was Dad. He had those good stallions. Um, they were in demand. They were leading stallions. He mm. never overpriced them. They were there for people to breed horses um, that weren't outside of their reach 
and to do the best they could with them. And um, mm. it uh, that is probably why um, on many a times there, there were over 300 mares on the property being covered by the stallions. Yeah. And, you know, remarkably, Dad knew every single horse. Goodness without God. looking at a brand, without looking at any other sort of notification, he knew every single horse and who owned them. So it was a remarkable thing. He dedicated his life to um, – to the harness racing industry, and and that's that's something quite quite unique to know them all. Like oh. I go out to the farm that um, Tony and I have got now, <laughs> I I can't remember the horse when he tells me what it was two minutes ago. So mm-hmm. it's a unique, uh, but Tony can remember them. But it's a very unique um, uh, uh, gift. situation. Yeah. yeah, it's a gift. Yes, you're right. It was a special moment for you when the Dumasey family received the Harness Racing New South Wales. Outstanding Contribution to Breeding Award at a special function in Bathurst not too long ago. Thank goodness your dad lived long enough uh, to see that happen and I believe he uh, has in his possession right to the end a lovely memento of the occasion. He, he certainly does, Tappy, but, you know, they, they um, that was one most more recent award. Uh, he himself um, received distinguished service awards to the breeding industry from Harness Racing Australia. He received Australia Day awards from the local council. He was a Bathurst honoree. Um, he, he, as, as I said, he's a was a humble man. Uh, those awards, um, he, he didn't go searching for them. They came his way because he deserved them. Mm. It's not generally known that you actually tried your hand as a race driver in the Central West and you drove five winners all up. Now, Dumbo, this is not the time for modesty. How how did you rate yourself as a driver? Uh, Very ordinary. (laughs) Very ordinary. (laughs) I've got to say, uh, my brother Tony, he he was a good, very good driver. He he won premierships and everything. Mm. Uh, When I I jumped in the gig – there must have been something going on for that to happen. Although, you know, when you when you breathe them, you break them, you train them, you like to have a little dabble every now and then. Um, mm. I I didn't have that many dabbles, but um, I certainly um, certainly didn't mind a drive. As I said, very ordinary. Uh, on a scale, you go from very ordinary to better. I went from ordinary to very ordinary. And probably some would say if there was a lower level, that was me as well. (laughs) (laughs) What about the nights at a Central Western meeting when your dad, your late dad Stan, spotted you pulling the colours on on one of the family horses and wanted to know why you were driving it? He expected Tony to be driving. Yes, well, uh, that that, that horse was a pretty pretty handy horse. I was training him, but... But I, I trialled him, and, and, and the horse didn't go that well. That was a, a trainer's area era there. He, he was mm. good, and I let his hobbles out for the trials, and he, he went pretty ordinary. And mm. I didn't want to embarrass Tony, so I decided I'd drive him because in those days you could swap the driver over just before that you got the yeah, gig, yeah. really. Mm. But um, uh, Dad came down, and he was he was very concerned as to what was exactly going on. He had not. He didn't know of the trial um, misfortune a couple of days before, and he thought there might have been something underward going on that I was driving the horse, and it wasn't underward in the fact that we were going to plonk the money on and have a big go. It was more the other way round, more than likely. But anyway, 
I drove the horse and uh, he did win that night and he was one of those five, mm. uh, very rare five. So that horse should feel um, very lucky that he had such a poor driver on him and he was a- still able to win. <laughs> now, John, what about that uh, memorable occasion at Dubbo when you, I think you finished third in the race, but you got tipped out right on the line, but somehow retained third placing. Yeah, that was um, that was my last race drive that I can recall. Uh, tight finishes, small track Dubbo, um, always competitive. And as we crossed the line, my wheel was just tipped, mm. just touched, and it, it flicked the gig over, and I was landed out in the outside fence somewhere. However, they held up the all clear for for a good while, and the um, the judge and the stewards looked at the photo finish. Mm. I had one foot in the stirrup mm. and holding on to both reins. So they declared that was good enough. Mm. I was part of the uh, the ensemble as we went across the line mm. and we held on to third. So uh, I've got that photo somewhere around. Um, I don't look at it too often. <laughs> Ruby Vale stood a long list of nice horses, starting off with Master Dixie, followed by Southern Brigade. He did a good job. Oh, Southern Brigade was was a very good stallion. My grandfather, uh, Bill, he went to New Zealand, bought three horses, two two foundation mares, and Southern Brigade. He was going to be a, a foundation stallion. He turned out to be. He he won one or two races. I think Dad drove him in one race. Mm. He, um, my father, gifted Southern Brigade to Dad when he turned twenty one, uh, the legal age of owning horses. There, but he was a good stallion. Uh, a hell of a lot of winners, a lot of Harold Park winners. I remember mm. he had a horse called um, Anytime. Now, Anytime mm. was, you know, when we were little kids, uh, Anytime was just uh, a, a champion horse. In this day and age, he he was a a he won he won races as a three year old, mm. uh, and he he was just one step short of open class. That was the type of horse he was. So, mm. um, but they had a great um, great uh, affiliation. Uh, my grandfather, especially with Herb Chant, Les Chant, of course, with my uncle and father and, and my uncles and aunties, and, and it was a really good association. But many, many Sydney trainers, um, old Jimmy Caffin, I remember, Kevin Newman, they'd come to Rubyvale and look at what stock was available there to, mm. to take back to Sydney because they knew there was something there to work with. Just reel off some other names, stallions that stood at Rubyvale over the years. Uh, um, Langus, Langus Hanover was a really, really good horse in subordination. Adios Kid, um, uh, they go on and on and on. Happy Tidal Wave. Yeah. Um, Romeo Hanover stood there um, one year or yeah. two years. They just went on and on. Bashful Hanover was another yeah. horse. Now, Bashful Hanover, when they got him, he was the highest priced yearling uh, ever sold in Australasia. Mm. Uh, wonderfully bred horse. He was um, purchased by the Hayes brothers down on the south coast, but unfortunately mm. broke down. But he went to Rubyvale and and stood for um, st- stood till his uh, till his death, and and um, side many many winners. Probably the last top stallion that stood there was John Street North. Mm. Um, he he produced countless winners, and um, he's now gone. But he he was another. He was the last of the stallions to stand there. Yeah, Explorador did a good job too, John. He got a, a lot of winners. He certainly did. Um, as I said, there's so many. You can you can remember them, I can remember them, and there's probably many mm. that I've forgotten. Mm. 
Mm. Your passion for harness racing was probably matched in those days by your love of rugby league. You played a, a fair bit of league in the region, I would imagine, as a halfback in those days. No, Tappy, I, I, I was actually a, a flying winger. Were you? Uh, and you know what they say about wingers, they might as well be on the bench. Mm. Um, but I was a fullback. I didn't play much in the centre, like in, in the in the halfback role. But mm. I, uh, I, I was a representative footballer at, at school. I played uh, jersey flag for Newtown. Mm. I tried out for President's Cup for Penrith mm. uh, and made the, the last squad. Uh, but then I got injured and I went back to the country. I, I played um, for Group Group 11 Second Division mm. um, and for Parks First Grade. But um, I loved rugby league, um, um, probably more so than harness racing, mm. although um, we were always involved with, with the horses. Mm. Well, John, your first administrative spot was certainly in harness racing. You were a committee member of the Parks Harness Racing Club and you finished up president for a couple of years. Certainly, but that was by, by um, more by the, um, where I was sent or forced. Mm. I wanted to be on the committee of the rugby league, local rugby league club. Uh, however, um, they were quite willing to accept me there, but they reminded me. And now the reason I wanted to be on that committee was because I didn't think the players were getting a, a good enough go mm. with some of the decisions. Uh, but anyway, that be it. Um, I wanted to be on the committee, but they reminded me that they had a special bylaw that uh, if you were on the committee, you couldn't play. And I certainly wanted to play more than I wanted to uh, be be on the committee. So I went on the, onto the Trotting Club Committee, um, just worked in the background, doing bits and pieces, and eventually, um, and, and, and I was honoured to be the president. I was only the president there for I'm going to say less than two years until be, um, Keith Adams actually came up to see me and they were looking for someone to to be their racing administrator at Harold Park and he encouraged me to uh, apply for the job. So mm. um, I'm certainly grateful to Keith for, for seeing something in me that took me from Parks to Sydney. And that was in 1988, a very significant year in your life. Now, two weeks before you got to Harold Park, Another young bloke from Wollongong had started as CEO. This was the first step in the administrative career of Peter Volandis. Certainly in, in racing. And, um, yeah, Peter was there. I, I hadn't met him before that that time. Uh, I arrived. Um, uh, we've, had, we've had so many good times together, but it was pretty tough when we first started because the committee had made a decision basically to – to do a clean out, uh, took the broom to the administration of the club. Um, it was in a poor, very poor shape financially, mm. um, and they needed a wizard, and they certainly got the wizard in, in Peter mm. to to pull them out of that um, that that terrible position they were in financially. Mm. Uh, and of course, he needed help um, in 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 the area of of the harness racing, the the, the racing department. So they got got me to to be his um, yeah. second. John, what were the strong points in his technique at that early stage of his career? Could you tell back then this bloke was different? 
I certainly could. He, he, he was determined. He was determined to be successful, not for he himself, but for who he worked for. Mm. And he, 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 could, he could identify where things could be improved. He could identify them just by sight without doing too much research into it. He could identify it. Of course, the research came after that, and, and he found those ways to, to improve. Um, the club um, financially was, in, as I said, in a very poor position. Uh, managerial, it was in a poor position. Waste was um, uh, just disgraceful, some of the waste that was there. Rampant, because yeah. It, it, they were living in an age that was long gone. Uh, it was long gone because primarily, and the racing industry wasn't too much different across all codes, was because we relied on the TAB. Um, the TAB mm. had been introduced in 64, mm. and whilst I'm talking, you know, um, 20 years, 25 years later, the, in, uh, the industry, the racing industry weren't, weren't uh, focused on where they should be. The money was just rolling in without little effort from the TAB and um, they Mm. weren't taking advantage of that. Mm. You and Peter remain very good friends and I'm sure he still holds a great interest in the fortunes of harness racing. Oh, certainly. And and, um, I'm going to use the word he's a great protector. He's a protector of the racing industry, um, but he'll never lose his love for harness racing whilst uh, he has a massive task with uh, the racing, um, the thoroughbred racing. Harness racing's there dear to his heart, and, and I, I can say that uh, we, harness racing, with this uh, ID21, have a wonderful opportunity. We, we will be on um, Sky Thoroughbred Central, the, the number mm. one racing station in, in Australia yep. for, um, for the racing. The Dominion, and, um, yeah. And the Inter-Dominion will be there, and that'll be, that'll be all um, because – Peter was there, willing to help, mm. and gave us the opportunity. Mm. John, we'll pause for a break on the podcast. I've got some very interesting uh, issues and events to raise with you, but stand by. We'll be back with John Dumasy after this. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts and a sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400 984 193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. My special guest is John Dumasy, CEO of Harness Racing New South Wales. John, let's look at some of the significant events to take place during those Harold Park years. August 2007, a vet called Tim Roberts detected very worrying symptoms uh, in some pleasure horses uh, at Centennial Park in Sydney, and he sounded a horrifying alarm. It was a Friday night, 
We were racing at Harold Park. What are your memories of that night? Uh, my memories are getting a, a phone call from Bruce Christie, Dr. Bruce Christie. He was the uh, chief veterinary officer for the government here in New South Wales. And it was basically, um, without going, uh, setting the alarm off too loudly, uh, asking questions whether we could keep the horses who were racing here that night uh, at Harold Park. I explained to him, well, short term, perhaps for a few hours, but it yeah. wasn't a long term uh, issue. It mm. was when equine influenza hit oh. and it hit hard. We didn't realise what it was that night, but after some discussions um, uh, with Dr. Christie, he said, well, uh, you can let those horses return to where they come from, but they must go directly to where they come from, not to stop anywhere, and uh, we'll have more to say about this tomorrow so mm. that was the beginning of equine influenza and it was something that um, really rattled um, New South Wales and Queensland um, fortunately didn't get into any other state in, in Australia but um, mm. it just stopped the racing industry the equine racing industry in in these eastern states paralyzed it Absolutely. It, um, and people didn't realise, I suppose we didn't realise ourselves what exactly it was. But but by the next day, uh, we did understand that um, this this uh, virus, as it is, um, was was would affect the horses, would could kill the horses mm. and was so contagious. And that was the uh, the 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 you know instruction don't go anywhere just go home and, and do what you can and yeah. and of course we 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 saw infection spread rather rapidly um uh, through the state yeah john it it's the first time we heard that horrible word lockdown because that is exactly what we had to do with all horses in the troublesome zones and and it was transmitted by from um, not not into people, but by people. So mm. the the virus on the hands or the clothes of, of people handling them just spread from place to place. That was something that we weren't uh, totally across, and and we did have some people where we had pockets. And and I can remember Warwick Farm was clean, Menangle Park was clean mm. um, of the virus, and we we were working out how we could continue on with uh, racing in those pockets. But that um, soon soon disappeared because mm. of um, unfortunately, somebody spread it into those two spots um, and, and then it, it just, just grew from there. What about the sensation before the 1997 Miracle Mile when the great Christian Cullen came up with an irregularity to a pre-race swab? The sample was rushed to the Randwick Laboratory where it tested positive. The horse was a late scratching and the last race that night, John, I'm sure you recall, started very close to midnight. It, it did. Um, but the stewards at the time, um, uh, the trainer, Brian O'Mara, reported the stewards that he'd admitted uh, something to the horse. Um, mm. It, it um, wasn't illegal what he had uh, administered, but still mm. it had to be checked out. They they rushed the, the sample across. They They had no intention of scratching... Um, Christian Cullen at that stage until uh, the the sample returned a positive swab to a, a drug that should not have been there at all. Mm. Now, um, so they pulled the horse out. It was a sensational, right? He's the is the superstar. Christian Cullen was an absolute superstar. Was going to become the first three year old possibly to win the Miracle Mile. His his value as a as a 
stallion would have just skyrocketed, but he was was out of the race. Um, as it turned out, um, there was contamination in the equipment at the lab. So it was most unfortunate that he missed that opportunity. But but still, the uh, owner, Ian Dobson, um, he remained a very, very – he didn't blame Harold Park. He didn't blame the, the stewards. He, he, he saw it as it was, an, an unfortunate incident, and he remained and still remains a very, very good friend of, of harness racing here in New South Wales. Well, thankfully, Christian Cullen came back the following year and he won the Miracle Mile in 1998, and thank goodness he did, because we saw that night one of the most electrifying performances in Harold Park's history. Certainly did, and and that performance uh, uh, was the uh, judged the the greatest performance in the first 20 years of Sky Channel. Mm. Um, such was it. Um, Danny Campbell, the driver. Had he turned turned the whip and, and encouraged the horse to run that little bit quicker, he would have absolutely smashed the track record. But he didn't. He let him run to the line, and he, he won off. He won by a widening margin of, of many lengths. So um, that performance, and probably one that um, that um, is in the history books, the performance of Mount Eden, mm. uh, were very much similar to two champion horses, um, both from New Zealand. There was another sensation before the 1993 Miracle Mile when the favourite Jack Morris showed a trickle of blood from one nostril after doing his warm-up and the scratching siren sounded again and the trainer, Sean Harney, the late Sean Harney, couldn't believe what was happening. No, he, he, he couldn't. Um, he, he said the horse had bumped its nose on in the stalls from the fireworks that we used to put on before the Miracle Mile to entertain the crowd. Um, uh, but unfortunately, once again, the stewards um, have to work within the rules. Um, uh, a trickle of blood from one nostril means that there's a, there's likely a problem, so the horse was withdrawn. Um, he missed his opportunity, and he's a wonderful bloke, Sean Harmy. He mm. he regretted the lo- missing out on that opportunity, but he never held it against anybody. He went on, and, of course, he went on to um, Albion Park, I'm sure, after that and won the Inter-Dominion, mm. unless I'm getting my years mixed up. But, no, I um, think you're right, yeah. But but he, he you know, once again, it, it's, it's, it's what they say, that's racing. Unfortunate part of racing, but it, it was a sensation as well. Wasn't he a plain little horse to look at, Jack Morris? You wouldn't have given him a second glance. No, you wouldn't have, but he, he was a superstar from the West that we, we were mm. hearing so so much of. And we talk about Peter. Peter was uh, – he would he would bring the connections and say, you know, test them out for an in, possible invitation because it was invitation only in those years mm. to be in the Miracle Mile. And uh, he he – he, he he said that he'd like the horse, but he wasn't real sure about the driver. Mm. Well, he actually <laughs> said that on radio. Um, uh, Sean Harmy, who was the trainer and driver, soon was on the phone and 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 basically said, "Well, if you don't take me, you're not getting the horse." So um, yeah, yeah. But but we ended up good friends. Um, so many great friends come out of these these sort of occurrences. Mm, great character, Sean Harney, who died much too soon. Now, John, the club came under fire in 1996 when it invited a horse called Manorville into the Miracle Mile on the strength of a win the previous week in fast time. There were many who thought there were more worthy candidates and there was hell to play. Iraklis won that Miracle Mile in 154.2 
but we'll never know whether Manaville was up to the task or not. Well, what I can say is um, Heracles was lucky that uh, Manaville uh, touched a wheel in the back straight and lost a couple of strides. Otherwise, we might have seen Manaville winning winning the Miracle Mile, but he didn't. But, mm. but, but that's where it comes down to. Um, we had given a commitment. Uh, the, Harold Park had been washed out the week before, and, and there were horses trying their best to be in this Miracle Mile. Michael Hunt set um, the trainer driver of Manaville, set him a task in, in just a, you know, a race on the card, a final of a, a graduation, basically. Mm. He set a sensational time mm. and he had all the attributes to be in the Miracle Mile. So he was selected. And as I said, if, if Michael hadn't have hit that wheel in the back straight, who knows what that result of that Miracle Mile was. As we know, another superstar in Heracles won the race. But mm. um, oh, they're the things that make racing, Tappy. They just make racing. Well, the Miracle Mile certainly did. There was no race in the world, thoroughbred or standard bred, uh, to engender more controversy year after year than the Miracle Mile was incredible. Yeah, and, and, and it continues today. Um, only last year we there, there were we brought a horse into the race that people thought was against the rules, Lochinvarat. Unfortunately, he succumbed to an injury that he had, but mm. he, it was full intentions of being there. But but we talk about those um, Miracle Miles and um, uh, we go back to when when it was something different to to, to bring a horse from the sidelines or some a horse that wasn't in contention that, that had true ability to be in the race and and whether that was co- controversy or not, it was, was what mm. was best for the race. There was a massive breakthrough for all three racing codes in 2008 when the High Court decided against wagering operators who were using product without contributing to the industry. Now, the ruling allowed controlling bodies from that moment on to charge a fee of 1.5% on wagering turnover generated by their meetings. The greyhound industry went in one direction with this, John, but Harness and Thoroughbred presented a unified case with great results. What sort of money did it mean to Harness Racing at that time? At that time, it meant getting getting a, a... getting paid for our product, something that we weren't getting. Um, now, that's turned into being billions of dollars, I mm. say billions, across the nation and across the world. That that model, that, that turnover model, rather than a profit model, is followed. Now, um, it was Racing New South Wales and Peter, Peter Volandes, he, he was so determined um, he he was he he could see where if you went to the alternate model, which was a share of the profit, mm. that it could be um, manipulated. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying anything uh, there that that was uh, that could be sinister, but it could be where where was your profit? Where were your costs? What what did you spend on marketing, et cetera, et cetera? So the cleanest model was the turnover model. So uh, Racing New South Wales and Harness Racing New South Wales went into that jointly. Uh, we lost the first first case. We we went further the federal court. We went ended up in the high court when we, after we'd won in the federal court and the, the corporate bookmakers took us to the high court. But we were successful. But that benefits every single code in every state across Australia. So um, racing in this country is significantly indebted to the efforts of Racing New South Wales and Harness Racing New South Wales for having 
the fortitude to take those corporate bookmakers on when there were many were saying, uh, give up, you'll get nowhere, you're wasting money. Well, um, I can say if it had gone the other way, they may have been right, but it didn't, mm. but it's it has benefited the racing and will continue to benefit racing significantly for years to come. In 1992, a New Zealand horse called Choken made history by becoming the first three-year-old to ever be invited into the Miracle Mile. He galloped away at the start. He pulled fiercely in the race. He actually choked down in the end and he crashed on the home turn. It was a sad spectacle, John, and it brought... A lot of criticism of the committee, didn't it, at the time, for allowing an immature horse to run in the race? Uh, yes, it did. But but that's where I'm saying looking outside the square, not being an absolute traditionalist and finding something new. Choken certainly, as a three-year-old, he, he was a superstar and he certainly brought the attention of the public, brought the attention of the media on the Miracle Mile for that year. I, I say it was stage fright because he was a baby. Uh, he he had never seen a crowd like that on that small small circuit. He'd been racing in New Zealand, of course. And when he came around the turn and the roar, he froze. In mm. my opinion, he just froze. And, of course, he, he fell to the track. But mm. uh, he came up, back and won uh, the next two Miracle Miles. However, it was the third one that mm. was the most interesting. He, he'd lost form. He'd lost form and and he wasn't the horse that he appeared to be. Um, I, I remember Keith Adams, the chairman of the, the club, uh, made a special trip to watch him in track work mm. in a trial to see whether he, he was worthy of a, an invitation. Now, Keith went to New Zealand mm. uh, and he said, yeah, he's right to go. He ran a very slick last quarter in a trial and he came over and he won, won his, his second, uh, second Miracle Mile. So it, mm. it was about taking the steps and the measures to make sure we had the, the right horses and the best horses for the Miracle Mile. He also won two Auckland Cups and a Victoria Cup and goodness knows what else, so that fall in 92 did him no harm. Now, John, you and Peter Volandis supervised a massive refurbishment of the Harold Park Paceway, which saw the construction of a $20 million grandstand and a total redesign of the famous half-mile track, which featured the most spectacular camber we'd ever seen in this country. It enabled horses to run times undreamed of. Yes, um, that that was interesting in itself. Um, uh, Peter, and Peter was the driving force. He was at government. He was at politicians. He was at anybody. Uh, we needed some uh, money, significant money, made the claim that the other codes were getting money. We weren't to to massively overhaul Harold Park. To, to give that old track something safe for horses to go around, but something fast. Um, so he, he came across um, uh, Charles Coonan's sons, mm. and I re recall having a, a discussion with Dan sometime later. Uh, they get this call from a bloke down under that uh, wants a job done, Who's going down there? Oh, it's too far, and who wants to go down there? But anyway, Dan drew the short straw, mm. and he came out, and, and Peter said, you've got to go out to the airport and pick up Dan Coon. I said, what does he look like? He said, I don't know. I have spoke to him on the phone. So yeah. I went out to Sydney Airport, picked this, uh, found him, 
found him. I didn't have a sign or anything. I just thought, well, who's the awkward, most awkward-looking bloke here? Now, don't tell Dan that. But still, I found Dan, and, and, and a great friendship came out of that. And he developed Harold Park into uh, an outstanding race circuit. Was we, we the, the bottom turn, as you say, turn um, was built out over in, into open space mm. over a canal. But the canvas were interesting in itself. Um, uh, Dan said, if you want to get the best out of this, you, you need uh, 12, 14%. Well, it was an old board member here at the time, Vern Norgard, a wonderful man. Mm. Um, he wouldn't have a bar of it, 8%, 8%. So anyway, the deal was struck. It was going to be 10%, somewhere in between. And anyway, Dan Kuhn said, this is ridiculous. It's got to be more than that. Uh, Peter simply said to Dan, just tell him it's eight every time he asks you. And, of course, it ended up 14%. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but it, it, it had its problems too with Sydney weather. You needed the equipment. When it rained heavy, you, it scoured the track. But it was mm. a wonderful track. Help, helped a myriad of horses uh, find their true potential. Mm. Well, John, despite the new facilities, the wonderful restaurants and function centres that uh, became available to the public in that new $20 million stand, the whole Harold Park operation fell on difficult times. Crowds were down, prize money was going nowhere, and it was Rex Horn who convinced his directors that there was only one way out for harness racing in Sydney, and that was the sale of the very valuable Glebe Precinct, which had been hosting harness racing for more than a century. As sad as it was, the vote from members in favour of the sale was overwhelming. Do you remember the meeting of members on a Sunday morning? I certainly do, but there was a lot of work went into that. Uh, the work that went into it in the first place, we had to get that member's uh, approval to sell at a certain price. Uh, Rex um, and, and others, they toured country New South Wales, uh, catching up with small groups uh, of, of Harold Park members and convincing them that they needed the vote because we needed a vote um, to, to push it through. And so that happened. The vote went through. The vote went through. Um, so we could sell. The next task came, and that was to be able to sell it, to have it rezoned. And that, that, was, a, that was almost a two-year uh, effort with working, um, once again, going around the state, talking to politicians and uh, getting the approval, especially with Sydney of City. And I, I must say, Clover Moore, um, she was a wonderful supporter of the sale of Harold Park. Um, it was then a matter of getting getting the figure that was set by the members, and that figure was $150 million, uh, before it could be sold. But in the interim, we they wanted somewhere else to race at, and we, we did some discovery uh, under our nose, and we knew it all along, was the fact that we owned Menangle. So without owning Menangle and building that 1,000-metre track, which took um, two years to build, much longer than what we thought under the under the um, uh, watchful eye of Dan Kuhn, it, it was a massive period of – and people don't realise this – it was about six years to accomplish all that um, until we, we opened Menangle Park in, in in 2008 as a racetrack we sold harold park in 2010 uh and we started on that project basically in 2004 so um, a, a very big effort but um certainly has paid dividends the sport has endured many kicks in the guts throughout its history none more than the unfortunate episode 10 years ago 
now known colloquially as the green light scandal. But John, somehow the sport survives due largely to the magic of the harness horse and the devotion of those who own and train them, many of whom will get the opportunity over the next couple of weeks to showcase their great sport under the banner of the historic Inter-Dominion. Certainly, Tappy, and, and, and briefly on, on the green light, it, it was a, an awakening. Uh, these things can happen, so you need to be watchful of everything. You need to have very, very strong integrity measures, um, and we all aspire to have them and we all deliver them as we can. But um, the Inter-Dominion, it, it's um, our turn to shine, and we will shine with this Inter-Dominion. Um, yes, there'll be some brick bats about this and that and the other, uh, but we will shine and it will be a wonderful event. We've got um, a great nominations. The final rankings are now done. So um, we will have a championships just like there have been in other years and there will be worthy champions, both in the trotters and the paces, come uh, December 11. Mm. John, as far as the pacing uh, series is concerned, it's very, very hard to go past King of Swing. Uh, whose record is impeccable coming into the series. But this is the magic of the Inter-Dominion. Will he handle three heats in a week? Will he handle a trip to Bathurst and a trip to Newcastle? Will he handle 3,009 metres in the grand final? This is the mystery of the Inter-Dominion. Certainly is. And and when that final is run on, on the very spacious Menangle track, every horse will have an opportunity if they're given the opportunity by their drivers. Um, they're, they're in the, if, Once they get into the race, they have to then take it forward and do their very best, and um, they will. It'll be uh, – we've seen some finishes of some uh, many Inter-Dominions that didn't go exactly to script uh, as far as favourites are concerned um, because uh, of the wonderful skill of, of a, a particular driver. Mm. One of the greatest, I think, of all time was Brian Hancock, uh, what he what he did with Weona Warrior uh, one year to lift him off the canvas after three rounds of heats, as you say, mm. and a daunting long-distance final to win a race with a horse that was generally just, uh, thought of as being a speed horse. So yeah. that's what we look forward to. John Dumasey, CEO of Harness Racing New South Wales, a delight to have you on the podcast. Thanks for your time on a wet Sunday morning in Sydney. My pleasure, Tappy. John Dumasey on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.